Are your memories of life always tied in with food? Well, so are Anne Gusts. And those memories are gathered into a cookbook memoir, Stories of My Mother and the General's Cookbook. It's on tip of the tongue. Welcome to Tip of the Tongue, a podcast on the Nitty Grits Network, where we explore the intersection of food and drink and museums. This is Liz Williams. We're here today with Anne Gust. She's a lawyer and she has a great food pedigree and has lived a really exciting life with lots of stories. And one of the things she's done with those stories is to write a book, and it is called Stories of My Mother and the General's Cookbook. So we're going to be talking and eating with all the goodies that she brought from her book today. So you might hear some crunching and other sounds while we're talking. Um, Anyway, she's going to talk to us about some of those stories and food and her pedigree in terms of Antoine's restaurant, which is the oldest restaurant in the United States that has operated continuously and is still operated by the same family, which is quite, quite a feat. So welcome. Welcome, Anne. Thank you, Liz, for having me today. Glad to be here. So tell me a a little bit about what made you decide to write this book. Okay, well, I... That's a good question, and thanks for asking. Um, My mother um, and father had a long marriage of 66, 66, 67 years. My father passed away in 2013, and I've been kind of staying with my mom, who as of the current date has actually arrived at, I'll say, the age of 97, but she is truly kicking with all cylinders almost. I mean, I'd say short of maybe some hearing difficulties and heart-related issues that are being cared for constantly. My mom really kicks mentally and sometimes even physically with, you know, on, on all four. So, you know, doing great, basically. But, you know, um, but look, so um, I'm one of her caretakers. And over the course of my time taking care of her, often my mom, and truly over her life, in fact, would, would often launch into a story about her life with my father my father, who was the attorney general of Louisiana for 20 years. Before that, he was a state senator. Um, and before that, he was a state deputy of the Knights of Columbus. So my father had some extraordinary experiences in the public sector. Mm-hmm. So my mother would often talk to me as I was taking care of her, and still am taking care of her, about some of their experiences so I really felt compelled to write some of them down because I really did think, you know, that really is a good story. And I'm proud of my mother for what she did. And I'm proud of my father for what he did. And I think that story is worth writing down. So the writer in me, I was yes. compelled to write down some of my mother and father's stories because I did find that some of the social justice causes that they my mother, in terms of relating those stories to me, I thought they were phenomenal in terms of uh, my mother's 
firm stand with respect to some of the social justice issues. And I thought, you know, that was really brave and exhibited strong character. So I wrote those stories down, and those do appear in the cookbook. So you have really made this a memoir and a cookbook. And I love the way it kind of goes together. So tell us a little bit about the cooking part. Okay, so as I started writing down some of these stories, about halfway through it, I recalled that my father had written a cookbook, and these were handwritten recipes of his that he had compiled into a thick binder, I suppose, and they were all handwritten recipes and and meals. So he didn't really just do an individual recipe unless it was, you know, connects with maybe a simple dessert or something, but he would fashioned his cookbook as a meal. So, you know, you might have the Creole gumbo dinner, which might call for an appetizer, the main dish, and a dessert, or the duck camp dinner, or the shrimp Creole dinner, crawfish etouffee dinner. But most of his dinners have an appetizer, an entree, and a dessert. Now, with respect to the desserts, the editor in me decided that the desserts should all go in a separate chapter. <laughs> so I did edit that. I just couldn't stomach when I was editing and writing and even trying many of these recipes to to throw in a dessert. I'm like, no, we've got to put, I've got to move that to the back in a separate chapter. So I gave the desserts a separate chapter. Mm-hmm. Now, um, well, that, that makes it easy if that's what you're looking for, to find yeah, a dessert. Yeah. Right. And I think also people might just have so many different tastes and preferences with respect to a dessert. So if I said Creole gumbo dinner and for dessert we're having cherry pie, I mean, they might say, wait, I, after Creole gumbo dinner, I don't want anything, really. I'm good. <laughs> and, um, but, you know, if you want a dessert, there's, there's, there's many in here that I'd, I'd love to talk to you about, you know, later as we, as we go on. So in your home, did your mother cook or did your dad cook? This is an interesting. This is a very interesting question, okay? Because you know, because the cooking gene, I think, came down through your father, right? Yes, I, I do think that I would have to agree with that, and and that is perhaps one of our family chuckles. But even as I've written this cookbook, and sometimes might tell a someone when I see at church, hey, my mom has, you know, I have a cookbook, and you'd be surprised how many women don't really like to cook. They go, I pick up that chicken at the grocery, and I take it home. No, 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 no. But And it also has surprised me how many men do like to cook. Mm-hmm. And I've talked to several, you know, who have seen my cookbook. Oh, I've got your cookbook. I'm getting your cookbook. Because there's so many men in our, in our maybe it's our cultural environment, that they're, they're, they're not just stopping at grilling on Sunday with the steaks. They're really doing other things during the week. Right. And I'm talking maybe some attorneys that I've met mm-hmm. that have many children. They come home, and they like to get their hands in there and start making a good meal. Mm-hmm. Now, your original question was the, my, about my mom liking mm-hmm. to cook. Right. I will say that, no, my mother was not the gourmet or the gourmet. She was not that person in the family. It really was my father. And um, but my mother, as I said, has lived to age 77, still is 77. And I, let me tell you, my mother prepares all her own meals, and she does a simple, really simple menu, but she swears by it and loves it. And it's usually, you know, it's it's almost comical, but, you know, the hard-boiled egg, the tomato, the avocado, the hamburger, or something like that, the macaroni, mm-hmm. very, very simple, very basic things. But she's kicking pretty strong at 97, and I have to applaud her. Now, my, my cooking is not always like hers, <laughs> and uh, I'm not making cream sauces every night, but 
I think she's not into that kind of menu sure. herself. Okay, yeah. especially yeah. at her age. Anyway, her right. you know you know our right. our bodies age and we can't tolerate the rich food anyway. But look, so I hope I answered that question. Yes. So, and I think it's really it's really interesting that we get to see your father through your mother's stories, I'm telling of those stories, and then we get to see your father through the recipes. Um, any recipes that were contributed by your mother? Yes, um, there were. I'd have to say that, I'd say that praline recipe, which mm-hmm. is really an authentic praline, and this is where I'd really like to in, almost invite community discussion because I've seen some local, you know, our, our news shows always have a, cooking demonstration right. and often pralines will come up mm-hmm. but i have seen some demonstrations on a praline and i truly thought that they were kind of in left field un- unfortunately and i do truly think that this praline recipe is so authentic and straight to the core and i don't want to some people make a thinner praline mm-hmm. with corn syrup and brown sugar right. mm-hmm. and i i i personally don't find that authentic now, if that's a good praline, it comes out great. I'm happy. I'm I'm good. Glad for you. This is a different praline. It's thicker, meatier, mm-hmm. chunkier, um, more texture, more like a um. If I had to give it more like a Loretta's praline kind uh-huh. of thing, uh-huh. where some of your thinner, syrupy, uh, sugary, thinner pralines are like, um, that you might see in the French Quarter. Um, this is not one of those thinner ones. It's more of a more robust, thicker problem. A, chunk, a chunky. And for that reason, one. I find it more authentic. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I certainly remember in, when I was a, a kid, and you could still buy prolines from vendors on the street mm-hmm. uh, in the 50s. Um, those were really thick. They were? Uh, yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's a good memory to have because I, I, I don't recall seeing the thicker ones that's that's interesting though that yeah. that kind of evolved to that thinner thing that you see right yes yes the thinner ones i i mean you know it's a it's a lot of sugar to eat right. that thick kind yeah. unless you make them really small uh-huh. and um so yeah. i think people wanted something that was a little bit lighter you know could so. be could be but uh-huh. all the, all the food is going to evolve so it's never yeah. going to always be the same so right and right. and i think there is a certain amount of um foolproofness that comes from being able to put corn syrup into it and things like that you know corn syrup and brown sugar and something else i, I don't i don't remember but i don't this recipe is is different from that so um you know it calls for caramelizing the sugar mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. the first instance and right. um you can check that recipe out in here for that um but um, you asked if my mother had contributed. I have to really nail it down on the pralines, the sand tarts, the cheese straws, uh-huh. things like that, that uh-huh. over the years for Christmas she would help prepare. But in terms of my parents entertaining at their house for guests, and let me tell you, they would have the dinner table set up. My mom's job really was focused on getting that dinner table set up, you know, the glasses, that that gosh darn silverware, you know, cleaning all that stuff. And, um, you know, the plates, the table set and the right. flowers arranged right. and all that business. And right. my mother was wonderful at that. My father even acknowledges that. But in terms of, um, and, you know, of course, I, I guess would select a menu. What what are we having for these guests? And, you know, you know, God forbid the archbishop or something like that <laughs> coming over. And what are we having? Okay, figure it out now. No, but no, my, I guess my father really did all that, that work in the kitchen. Now, look, we had some wonderful... Um, 
house cooks over the years, and they were just such a presence in our lives with respect to cooking the dinner meal. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe there was the daytime guy. His name was Julius. How could we forget him? You know, would come during the day, and maybe in addition to every doing a lot of other things, he would put on the pot of red beans. As the years went on, my mom was looking for a nighttime cook, mm-hmm. and um, she put maybe a little ad in the paper. And I, I find these stories personally interesting because these are people who are truly in our lives. Mm-hmm. So uh, a nice lady called us. She said, my mom said, do you cook? The lady, like, practically started laughing. She said, I worked at, at KMB for 20, 30 years in their kitchen. I cooked the ice cream. I cooked the, the meals at the KB kitchen counter, which mm-hmm. they used to have, if right. you remember. I do, yeah. So this, this lady was, um, you know, cooking the meals at, at KB and making the ice cream at KB. My mom said, come on over. I'll see you at such and such time. Well, she stayed with us for about 20 years as a wonderful cook, and her fried chicken recipe is in here. And And what I wanted to say is that, like, you know, in terms of getting a recipe, like, for fried chicken. Yes. You know, my my father did really do observation, and he says that at the front of that chapter. He personally observed, you know, step by step, how do you do this? Yes. You know? mm-hmm. And he wrote it down. And I can tell you what, it's really not that hard, and it's really wonderful fried chicken. And our town does um, have some exceptional fried chicken places That's true. that I can name, you know, I love that Willie Mays, and I'm going to give them credit. I love Willie Mays. I love. I haven't been to Dookie Chase as often, uh-huh. but, you know, third place, this Margaret Carey worked in our house. Wonderful, basic fried chicken. It's not that hard. And I wanted to, to really mention to you that, you know, when you're making something like fried chicken, I know I came from a big family, and perhaps, you know, the cook might have put out 20, 30 pieces. But let me tell you something. When I go home, I can make three, four, five, six pieces and have a great time and just do the little job. It's not that hard and it really is it really is good. It really you know? is good. It's really good. I'm a fried chicken freak, so you, you've hit the right thing to talk about. Several different kinds. I like the Willie Mae kinds where there's a batter. I like the kind that doesn't have a batter that's just um Pan fried or grilled or something. Well, the kind that, that has a, a batter that you make, you know, by um breading it with with yeah. uh, cornmeal or something like that. Right. But um, I like both of those. And I like the kind that's really juicy when it's hot. And I like the kind that they, they call the dry fried chicken that mm-hmm. you would be able to pack as a lunch to take someplace the next day. Yeah. And what I love is cold fried chicken for breakfast with a cup of coffee. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'll remember that for our next our next meetup. Okay. But, um, Yeah. I mean, I think it was things like Mardi Gras where, where you would want something to have for, you know, being out on the on the street. Sure. So we would bring mm-hmm. a batch of fried chicken fried or chicken. something like that. Yes, you know? absolutely. But, absolutely. Um, but, um, so, so I want to know a little bit more about your dad and whether you decided to be a lawyer because your father was such a famous lawyer in Louisiana or what was it that made you decide that that's what you wanted to do? I think it just evolved over time. I, I got out of law school. I went to a really good good college, Georgetown in Washington. Mm-hmm. And and you often when, I mean, I was discussing with, with a family member, you get out of college and sometimes you have a really nice degree and you're stuck with, okay, so how does this translate to I have to get a job? And what was your degree okay. in? It was like an English major from I'm a nice English, school. I'm an English major <laughs> like, too. I totally okay, get it. Okay, so you, yeah. you get out and no one is tapping you on the shoulder. Okay, think that when you get out of this place, you got to have a job. Okay? Mm-hmm. 
So, you know, those nursing school students don't have that real problem. And I have to uh, applaud them for things like that. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I didn't, perhaps I didn't get enough focus on this or focus on that. You know, my parents had a lot of kids and I think they did help, you know, me eventually get around to figuring out what I wanted to do. Uh-huh. But three or four years after law school, um, I dabbled around in teaching and I thought that was really I had my own way of doing things, and I thought, no, I can't handle this cheat teaching job. So I just got into law school. started with paralegal, and then I just decided I wanted to go to law school. Now, listen, I don't say that I practice full-time. Mm-hmm. And as far as the cooking, I think the cooking has just evolved. As I said, I have no lawyers who like to cook, and they enjoy that as an extracurricular activity. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of a chill-out thing, and... You know, they can, as they're chopping the onions, think through a case or whatever. And perhaps that's that's what it is for me. Uh-huh. You know, on a Saturday, I might run to the grocery, get some ingredients, and stand there cooking it. Now, yeah, I have my lazy days quite often where I'm just going to go out to eat. <laughs> and I'm going to get that good steak somewhere, uh-huh. something like that. Uh-huh. And um, and then not have to clean up either. <laughs> oh. Yeah, cooking is, is can be labor-intensive. Like, if you're going to shop for the groceries... You know, cook the meal, clean it up. Yeah, and I have done my share of entertaining, you know, a little bit, not not major. But um, I know that it's work. There is work involved. I mean, um, are, 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 are shortcuts ever taken? Yeah, you might get that side, you know, that elaborate salad that's already made. And, you know, I'll take care of that. I'll get the main dish. I'm going to order out on that salad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I do mm-hmm. things like that. And I think we have to, as busy people, kind sure. of mm-hmm. take our choices about what we're going to okay, let's order that one out, you know, something like that, you know. So I'm not 100% chef. I'm just partly chef, (laughs) you know, but I I do enjoy my time in the kitchen. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have even done this if, if I didn't, you know. Yeah, you couldn't, you couldn't do it. You can, and when you look at it, you can see the love for your parents that you have, but also the love for the, the stories and the food. So Uh I, I think that that makes it have really a great deal of personal charm Uh that, and it tells a little bit about uh, it's part of Louisiana history and it's documented history that a lot mm. of people wouldn't ever have any other way to know about. Yeah. And, and that is something that I, I do want to make sure that we talk about as, um, as time goes by in this interview. So I want to know what you think is the most important legacy of your father in his professional life, I mean, not to say, you know, he was a great father and all that kind of stuff. We're going to assume all of that. I want to know professionally, what, what do you think the most important aspect of his legacy is? Okay. Um, before answering that, I wanted to add one thing about the cookbook. I oh, did have this artwork done, and my, one of my nieces, who's truly artistically talented, uh-huh. you know, did do these um, pieces of art that are within the cookbook. Yes. And I had to push her on and move her on. Okay, come on. It's doing good. You're doing great. Let's get some more art out there. Uh-huh. But she did a, such a wonderful and fabulous job. And I, I was happy with, with her artwork. Just wanted to put that out to you. Yes. Yeah. Well, and it makes it more of a family um, affair. Too. Yeah. I mean, this yes. champagne bucket with uh, champagne glasses. I mean, there's so many that I like the Mardi Gras, uh-huh. King Cake. I happen like to like the artichoke a lot. Like you know, the artichoke. You know, the slice, the artichoke in half where you see the inside. I, yeah. I like that very much. Well, yeah. good. Thanks. Um, but let's see, my father's legacy, I did put in the last, I don't know if you happen to notice, the last, call it chapter of mm-hmm. this entire book. So there's the stories, mm-hmm. then there's the cookbook, yes. and then there's this section, I called it awards and uh-huh. achievements of my father. Yes. I don't know if you happen to see that. Yes. But it truly does go on for six to eight pages. 
And I, I can't say that I would stress any one particular achievement of his. Um, <clears throat> I think his concerns were, were things like the environment. And I think he was very much on the cutting edge of the whole concern about the environment and protecting the environment and mm-hmm. those kinds of things. And then, of course, he was well-known for all his work with things like affirmative action and things like that, housing for the homeless, housing and the homeless. I mean, I can't go into all those word for word, and, you know, but it's all here in the back. And, and I did type this up, and I got, as a big help to me, um, I had found some several storage boxes in, um, that were being stored by some of our cousins, actually, in an office in Antoine's restaurant. He said, we got all these boxes. Do you want them? I said, yes, I want the boxes. Uh-huh. So I took the boxes, picked them up, big room at the um, storage facility, pulled out the first box, and it was a box full of awards. And this really helped me. I, I wrote down all these awards, and they're all in here. So there's two or three boxes of those, and that's how I got many of these that were maybe on the wall in his office, something like that. And so, so what? how much time did you spend going to dinner at Antoine's or lunch at Antoine's or whatever? As a child? Uh-huh. <laughs> as a child and through early adulthood, um, you know, and later on, as a family, I think we would go down for major family events, things mm-hmm, like that. Mm-hmm. Um I think my father might go more often for those, should I call them the famous Friday lunch, where uh-huh. they would have that lunch in the back room with the family in yeah. the um, escargot room. Right. But, you know, as kids, we might go to that once or twice with them, or young adults, I might have gone with him to those once or twice. But um, um, let's see. You know, I think for big occasions, whether it was a birthday or an anniversary or something like that, uh-huh. we might go there often uh-huh. like that. So I myself personally like to go down to Antoine's every now and then for, for a nice dinner meal and uh-huh. stand with my friends or celebrate something. And I think most guests of Antoine's, the restaurant is known as a place where they have a personal event that they're celebrating And it's a personal memento memory or personal memory, their Mm -hmm. experience at that restaurant. I think some people have difficulties at the restaurant, perhaps my, you know, what I hear. They don't know what to order or how to order or what to get. So often when I'm with friends, I do what kind of my father did with me. I do the ordering. I know what to get. You be quiet. I'll I'll figure this one out. Okay, don't look at the menu because you won't want it. Okay, but... I kind of help along in terms of what to order. Now, of course, if you go to Antoine's quite often, you know what you like. Mm-hmm. You know, sure, you know you're on your different. own. Yeah. Good for you. Yeah. But some people don't know what to order. Mm-hmm. And, for example, I like with Oysters Rockefeller, instead of just getting six, I personally like to get what they call three and three or two, two and two. So three and three might be Oysters Rockefeller and Oysters Thermidor. Now, uh, two, two, and two might be Thermidor, Bienville, and Rockefeller. And that's a wonderful um, thing to, to have as an appetizer because you can pass around the table, do whatever right, you want. Right. And I, I happen to love really the fact that you can kind of get things served family style. You can. And and just say, you know, I want uh, oysters foche for the table kind of thing. And mm-hmm. and it's pretty easy to, to just pass it around and uh, – the other thing that I, right. I happen to think is so important today, especially when you go to restaurants and they talk about, well, you want this for the table or whatever, mm-hmm. they often don't give you serving spoons or anything like that so that people have to use their own forks to kind of shovel things off of some kind of a platter that's sitting in the middle of the table. Yeah. That's very irksome to me. <laughs> um, and... 
And that has never happened to me at Antoine's. There's always been a serving spoon that has come with the platter of whatever it was. And you got a different spoon with each platter. So if you had a platter of crab meat or something, some other, whatever, it always came with its own spoon so that you could take what you wanted and pass it down. And Mm -hmm. people weren't shoveling it off. Yeah, right. I mean, those are details that waiters and waitresses have to just remember to do. Mm-hmm. And in mm-hmm. a big restaurant, any detail could get forgotten and neglected. And, oh, we forgot to, you know, do such and such. But you, I do just sometimes, I am personally overwhelmed and, I mean, amazed sometimes. You go to Antoine's, and it's not that everything's perfect and everything's mm-hmm. right, but there's so many details you might have to remember. And they, if they have three, four, five hundred guests, or even for a major event, a wedding, a party, or something – and they're serving all these guests, you know, that's a lot to stay on top of. Sure. And if you pull it off, you know, fantastic, you know, mm-hmm. wonderful. Yeah. But but I do I do truly get, I'm amazed and inspired by, um, with all those guests, how they can pull off service for a very large crowd. And it's right. amazing. Mm-hmm. So I do have to applaud them often. Yes, I hear, I hear, um, oh, uh, it wasn't good that night or we didn't get good service or whatever. Again, I kind of personally have to say, you know, look, things happen. Or, or I say, um, I wish I could have been there with you to have ordered your meal or to have helped make it right for you. Because I personally had my own so many wonderful experiences there that, sure. I'm, that I'm personally happy about. Yeah. Another thing that I really like about the restaurant is that it's a very friendly feeling place. It's not stuffy, even though... It has all kinds of history and all of that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And very often, if you go with just one guest, you know, with one other person, so that person gets up to go to the bathroom or something, and you're there by yourself, often somebody at another table will say, oh, come sit with us until your companion comes back. Oh, really? And that yeah. happens, I mean, that's happened many times. Yeah. And that just doesn't happen everywhere. Now, part of it is New Orleans, I know. Yeah. It's not... It's not something that only happens at Antoine's, but it is it is a, a lovely thing that I, I like in the older restaurants where there's a sense of people being able to talk across the room to another table and yeah. all of that sort of yeah. thing. I mean, I think another thing about Antoine's is is the size, really. There's so many rooms. I mean, right. there's <laughs> I haven't counted them, but I think there may be... 15, or I don't know exactly how many, but I've been to other restaurants, maybe in another town, uh-huh. you know, where I went to college, and you walk into this very nice, with a re- good reputation, sure. and, you know, the main dining room is very small, mm-hmm. and this is it, you know, this is the place. Right. When I came back home after being out of town, and I walked through, you know, the rooms, I'm like, wow, you know, there's this main dining room when you walk in, then there's an annex room, you know, which is red, as you know, with uh-huh. all those um, pictures on the walls. But, you know, it goes on and on. You know, the, the rec room. Listen, I'm not going to brag about Antoine's, and we need to get back to the <laughs> get back to the, the. And there's a second floor as well, as many people know. And and that's why, look, mistakes are going to happen. But you know, it's your overall experience and your feeling about the experience. And and I truly am happy and you know proud to say I've had wonderful experiences there. I I don't really know of a bad experience that I've had, but. I want to, you know, just mention as far as the cookbook is yes. concerned, uh-huh. that um, 
these are not recipes from Antoine's restaurant. Right. So right. my, you know, if a family member, I, I need to get, get my book over to some family members. I've sent my cookbook to my cousin Roy, uh-huh. who, who's written many of the, he's wrote the Antoine's cookbook, which leaves out major recipes that are, you know, supposedly, you know, not for publication. Right. But this cookbook of my father's is a family cookbook of things he's done in his kitchen throughout his life and our lives. Okay. So it's not an Antoine's cookbook. Mm-hmm. Of course, he has instincts, and he helped the family cook and watched her too, and we loved her to death, so she used to be applauded as well. But um, I just want to emphasize this is not an Antoine's cookbook, and I don't think Antoine's takes the credit. In fact, on the back cover, I really don't even mention my father's um, connection, his uh, ancestry with Antoine's. Uh-huh. I didn't feel that that was... I did not want to mention that. I could have. Now, it does come out in the book that my father was a, you know, a fourth-generation proprietor with my uncle. Uh-huh. And um, that does is mentioned here in the book. So cooking instincts are in my father's soul, as they are, I think, in mine. And I, I love my time cooking, and I love my family's history of cooking. And I'm proud and happy of it. And you, I'm laughing again because I just saw a picture here of my mom. And my mom was not, was not the chef in the house. She was the, you know... She was the child bearer, the table uh-huh. setter, uh-huh. the menu preparer, the guest list coordinator, all those kinds of things, and the entertainer. So I give her a lot of credit for everything she did. Well, it, and, um, it's an important part. Here's a nice part. little picture of my mom right there, all you folks oh, out yeah. in podcast <laughs> land. I'm sorry you can't see it. But you but, can see it if you have the book. <laughs> you could see it on page 57. No. My mom is singing and dancing with a, with a trumpeter at the Harry Thompson Center's um, a fundraiser. This is her right there at 95 or something. I mean, I have to applaud my mom in every respect yeah. for uh, her contribution to our, you know, no, she wasn't the chef, but uh, she's fixed her meals herself to this day and taking care of her own her own meal, meal things. Um, you know. So is this book available through... Amazon or um, own, it is available through Amazon? Yeah, that's okay. that's a good question. Where can you get this book? Uh-huh. Um, I did kind of make a decision not to go on the shelf, bookshelf, physical book, bookshelf in any local bookstores yet. I mm-hmm. mean, maybe later. But for now, I thought that it was su- sufficient to just go through Amazon.com or BarnesandNoble.com. The, the printer publisher is FriesenPress.com, and they, they come from Canada. And um, there are self they they any publish any per, a writer who wants to produce a book and can do a self publishing thing, mm-hmm. and, and I did go that route, and um, and that was the route I took. So this was published by myself with the help of this Friesen Press in Canada. But to order the book, you can get at those sources, or you could call me now if you'd like to make the book available in your bookstore. Uh, that's that's your your call, of course. We could make it available there. Okay. And and if, if you're willing to entertain this book signing thing, which would be wonderful, um, uh-huh. the book will be available there. Um, you know, you could always call me. But I think those, those Amazon.com, they turn over the book fairly quickly. And within, a you know, a week, I think people are going to get their book. There might be a caution that, oh, if you order this, it's going to take three or four weeks delivery because of COVID concerns or delays and all that. But I hear people have been um, family members and other friends have gotten their book maybe within a week, week or two. Yeah. Well, that's that's certainly fast enough. Yeah. Uh-huh. So I just wanted to make sure that 
because, you know, this is not just uh, local, but it's people from all over the country are listening to us. Um, I wanted to see how they would be able to get the book. Oh, know. yeah. I think your best thing, Amazon.com. I really do. Or, or BarnesandNoble.com Barnes and or mm-hmm. com. F-R-I-E-S-E-N, press.com, something like that. Um, uh, that's how you could get the book. And, and frankly, um, I think it saves time on gas and parking at the mall and going in the mall. I'm sorry we're out of the book today or, you know, something like that, which we've all had those experiences sure. in our life. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you go online, you order the book, and there's no turning you down. Right. You know, we don't have your size today. Da, 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 da. <laughs> we don't have those jeans today. You know, so that is one of the conveniences of online purchasing. Right. Mm-hmm. So no mall, no parking, no traffic, no car accidents at the mall. Blah 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 blah. Okay, so um, no, I think online ordering is 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 does have its advantages. So thanks so much, Anne. This has been really a delightful conversation. Could I spend thirty seconds on on fried bananas? Oh please, <laughs> yes. Um, you asked this this you asked if my mother's this fried banana thing. I really think is my grandmother's. Is when I was a your, child. Your mother's mother? My father's your mother. Your father's mother, okay. So, so it would have been her grandfather that was uh, Antoine. Uh-huh. But um, ne- nevertheless, my, my grandmother, my mayor, we would go over to her, her house for dinner, and fried bananas was being cooked in the back by the, the house cook over there. And I would personally observe, and my only comment was that I've seen local uh, local uh, recipes for, for this, and they might call it, Bananas Foster, oh, and uh-huh. and and not only call it that, claim ownership of it to some extent. Listen, I'm friendly with everyone in town that likes to cook, and I'd love to chat with you. But we always called it fried bananas, and I observed the cook in my grandmother's house doing this thing, and her technique is different from some local recipes. So I think my thoughts are the same about the pralines. Uh-huh. I think people have different techniques uh-huh. and different methodology. So with the fried bananas, I called it fried bananas. It's not mm-hmm. bananas foster, uh-huh. which is a, a well-known New Orleans dish. Right. But ours has always been known as fried bananas in our house. Uh-huh. And it's pan-frying those bananas. Uh-huh. And then after you've pan-fried them, you're going to add that brown sugar in your, your um, whether it's bourbon or rum that you like, you know, those kinds of things. But right. I found that when I start with the brown sugar and the butter and then add the bananas, you're getting into a sticky, sticky substance. Sure. Mm-hmm. So I pan fry those bananas, as I think I observed the cook in my grandmother's house do. And that was just such a wonderful dish, you know. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So I just wanted to share that one with you, okay? Okay. Okay. All right. Thank you. Anything else that you'd like no, to that's question it. me about today? That's, that's, that's all. The rest of it should be found in the book. So yes. we want everybody to buy one. Yeah. Stories of my mother and the General's Cookbook. Of course, the General, my father was the Attorney General, and that's why I gave it that name. And um, by myself, and Gust. Okay, that's... Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening to Tip of the Tongue. We come to you from the Camellia Bean Studio at the Southern Food and Beverage Museum in New Orleans part of the Nitty Grits Network. For more information on today's podcast, join the Tip of the Tongue podcast group on Facebook. Please come by when you're in New Orleans and don't forget to subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. If you like it, let us know in the comments. This is Liz Williams.